Poole Couch Podcast is a weekly conversation with Dr. Lakeitha Poole, a licensed professional counselor in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, about all things mental health and personal growth. The Emerald Couch Podcast is the go-to pop psych dialogue for self-help, good laughs, and real talk. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for seeking support from a licensed mental health professional and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information about counseling and therapeutic services, or for assistance in connecting with a therapist in your area, visit our website at www.smalltalkcounseling.com. Let's start the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerald Couch. This is your host, Dr. Lakeitha Poole, and we are back with another episode, episode 43 to be exact. Um, and today we're going to be talking about being well um, in relation to spirituality. Uh, we haven't really touched on this topic a ton um, during the life of the podcast, so I do want us to do that. But we also are celebrating a very special month, um, so I want to jump into that um, as well. So um, just as a reminder... Make sure that you are following um, or liking or sharing anything that you um, hear or feel about the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud um, and also on social media at Go Small Talk Counseling on Instagram and Facebook.com slash Small Talk Counseling. And of course, you can check out the website anytime if you're interested in just seeing more of what we're up to. That is www.smalltalkcounseling.com. As always, thank you so much for your support and for listening um, and your feedback is so important to us. So keep it coming. Stay engaged with us. Let us know how you feel about topics, episodes, new topics you want to hear. Um, we can't wait to share that all with you. So thanks for tuning in as always. So jumping right into this episode, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, we we're talking specifically about being well. Um, and the reason why I titled this episode that is that oftentimes we think of wellness um, solely in this sort of like physical thing that we can always just feel. So if we have a stomach ache, then we know we're not well. If we have a headache, then we know we're not well. Um, but what about the things that we don't necessarily feel um, negative effects of? And what does that look like? What about the things that maybe we just lack and we don't notice um, the way in which our body, um, our mind, or our spirit, in this case today, responds. So like I mentioned, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, and this year actually marks um, Mental Health America's 70th year anniversary um, of celebrating Mental Health Awareness Month. And so this year's theme is um, For Mind, For Body. And I thought this was really interesting because, of course, um, like I mentioned, we think about wellness always in terms of um, our body as this sort of like isolated part of us versus being able to think about the full connection between our mind and our body, which our mind is a part of our body, as we sometimes forget, um, to be able to make sure that we're thinking about how are we taking care of ourselves in a holistic way um, that includes both mind and body. And in this case today, again, spirit. So um, every year we get millions of Americas around the world um, around the country, not the world, <laughs> Americans face the reality of living with um, mental illness. And so during the month of May also, um, 
the National Alliance for Mental Illness um, and the rest of the country are trying to raise awareness around mental health. And so each year they also come up with a theme um, to try to fight stigma, to offer support, to educate the public, and to really advocate for policies that can support people with mental illness and of course their families. And so this year their theme is Why Care? And so the Why Care campaign um, offers an opportunity to be able to share the importance of care in our relationships with other people um, in sort of mental health treatment and general and the services that are provided, and then to obviously offer that support and education to millions of individuals, to families, to caregivers, to loved ones of people who are affected by mental illness. Um, so really just spreading a broad message of the usefulness of understanding why we should care about taking care of our mental well-being. Um, and so what they hoped was that this would sort of demonstrate the how and the why um, us caring can kind of bring more awareness and really show that our connections um, to one another are much more meaningful than we ever could have thought. And so, of course, we know that care in itself has the power um, to make life-changing impact and to really help folks who are affected by mental health conditions, whether that's the person themselves or those that are um, connected or somehow in relation to um, the person who is suffering from a mental illness or mental health condition. So for most people, um, again, they think of these conditions as very silos and very physical um, but today I really want us to think about it from a spiritual perspective um, and really being able to continue to sort of honor the awareness month um, of mental health awareness and being able to really highlight that component of wellness, I think is important. One, because we've never really done it on the show. And I do um, recognize that, like I'm always preaching to you guys who listen about all those areas and those of you who are like my early um, OG listeners know we talked a lot about sort of the wellness wheel, which is my favorite in those six major areas around wellness that if we all are tapping into regularly, not daily, but just regularly, um, we can live a pretty balanced, happy life. And so just being able to know that spirituality is one of those areas and I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if we didn't spend some time talking about it. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So, um, just to even dive into this thought around spirituality. And I think we've brought up the topic in general before, just in thinking about holistic wellness, but really spending some time today examining what spirituality is and how to use it is kind of our goal. So regardless of whether you rely on maybe like meditation, yoga, specific religious practices, um, caring for your soul itself is a really, really, really important component of taking care of yourself that can actually end up improving your physical and mental health um, along the way. And so in the past, there's been a lot of stigma around faith-based communities actually discussing mental health and kind of dispelling some of those related myths to that. Um, I'm super proud to belong to a church community, a religious community, um, where our pastor did allow, um, actually allowed me to be able to um, address our, our congregation around this topic and to really be able to talk with them um, about what it means to be both a person of faith but also a person who wants to be well spiritually, mentally, um, and emotionally. And so because of these stigmas that often exist, not only in religious settings, but obviously more so um, existing among communities of color, mental illness often is something that ends up ends up going um, undiscussed and can kind of even be frowned upon, particularly within um, faith-based communities. And so today I just want us to share some facts about the distinction between mental illness and mental health and how your faith and spiritual practices can kind of be a protective factor to that. So I think I've said 
said this on the show probably a thousand times, but what we do know is that mental health exists on a continuum. So there's a difference between the healthy side of mental health. Um, so this resilient and thriving side, the side where, you know, when all is well, your wellness will is in balance, you're meeting your goals, you're feeling fulfilled, all those things and mental illness. And so this is more the dysfunction and the suffering side that we often feel when we aren't at our best. And so it's probably our lowest point and where you start to see some of the dangerous things that we see happening sometimes in society. That person usually has reached a place of mental illness. Um, but in between that, the rest of life that we experience can fall anywhere between those two. And so um, oftentimes people will feel like if they're not at that other far end of like sort of thriving and being resilient, then something must be terribly wrong. When in actuality, it could just be you're having a bad day or a bad week um, or that you need to change some things in your daily life to make you feel much more um, competent in being able to be happy and find that balance that you need. So just to dive into a little bit about faith and spirituality, here's what we know. So as we kind of learn more about these connections between the mind and the body itself, um, it has become almost blatantly clear that spirituality or religion or faith, a lot of times people use those interchangeably, but they do have distinctions. Um, and we may talk about that today. We'll see. Um, those can help, you know, a lot of individuals live well um, with mental health conditions. And so some individuals and family actually turn to faith in times of crisis to kind of help in their recovery, while others find that spiritual practices might just help them continue to manage their overall mental health um, and wellness. And so it doesn't mean that something has to be wrong for you to turn to your faith, but to also know that if something is going wrong, you'd also don't abandon your faith, um, assuming that it's because of maybe something you have done or not done. Um, to fulfill maybe religious or spiritual obligations. And so how faith helps is that um, research has shown that for some, religion and individual spirituality can actually directly improve that physical and mental health through things like meditation. So, you know, this practice in itself has received a lot of attention. Um, we did a retreat at the start of the year where we really talked about the usefulness of meditation, which could literally be a three to five minute moment that you have in the mornings or in the evenings um, before bed or first when waking up to be able to just kind of center yourself. Um, studies have found that anywhere between 10 to 20 minutes of meditation twice a day causes what's called the relaxation response. And so immediately you will see decreases in metabolism, decreased heart rate, decreased breathing rate, um, slower, calmer brain waves. So instantly sort of sinking into this place of relaxation um, just by taking 10 to 20 minutes um, to just be and be reflective and push out anything else um, that tries to sort of get in the way of, of the way that you're thinking. Um, another sort of area of where faith can help is just the sense of togetherness that you experience by being a part of a spiritual or religious community. So religion offers other supports for mental health, um, and particularly sort of ways to interact with the community um, by attending congregational gatherings, which for some people is um, Sunday church service, for some people that is Saturday afternoon mass, for some people that is um, Saturday or a Friday at the mosque. Um, and so any sort of group religious rituals can provide structural um, social activities that cause 
relatively little anxiety for most people and actually benefit our health directly. Some people don't like being in groups of people, which I totally get. Um, but usually being able to be in a supportive community, which usually a faith-based community provides, um, eases that anxiety or maybe nervousness that you might have about being in a group. And so places of worship can kind of offer, um, resources and social activities that actually end up encouraging and supporting people who live with mental conditions and even their families by providing some of those additional benefits through being connected to the community. You just never know who actually maybe goes to your church or who is a part um, of that community in the first place. And then the third area um, of where faith itself can help is just a sense of understanding. So for some people, the most important aspect of being a part of a religious community or even being religious and practicing a faith um, is that it offers ways to understand our experiences. So the major world religions each kind of have their own explanations of why suffering exists in the world. And just like the physical illnesses, turning to these explanations sometimes brings comfort to a lot of people when they are confronting their illness um, or that place of not feeling well or being well. And so while this question around, you know, medical science answering the why me and giving this basic medical model or, or, um, diagnoses. Um, some people really feel like they find better answers or greater answers or more complementary answers when they seek, um, their faith out or when they seek religion. And so just that sense of understanding is another way that faith can actually help, um, in trying to understand what might be going on with someone. So that's sort of from the communal perspective. Um, obviously, I know that many of our listeners um, are individuals and you are maybe not a part of a faith-based community or you are, but you are a bit of an introvert like myself. And so just trying to help you figure out maybe what actions you can kind of practice on your own um, to help you be able to connect spiritually um, for the sake of increasing your mental health. And so the benefit of religion, like I'm I just said, like, doesn't stop with um, the steps of a church or a faith-based community or a place of worship. Um, the most powerful health benefits of religion actually come from those simple contemplative practices that kind of invoke the relaxation response that we we're talking about earlier. So some can find really great comfort and peace in spiritual practices of contemplation on meaning and thinking about what your life purpose is and really just surrendering to those moments. And so of course you can encourage these rituals, which are just reflection time. That could be prayer time. That can be meditation time into your daily routine at home. So that's really important. Um, sometimes it's important to be able to break out from your routines and sort of rituals and really look for new ways to practice your spirituality or your religion um, can sometimes give you probably that extra boost sometimes you need to find valuable tools, maybe in times of frustration or when you're down. Um, ways to practice your faith outside of a congregation can include things like reading scripture, visiting sacred places. Um, those of you who know me know that I love to travel and I'm always talking to you guys about my travels, but learning really how, you know, to connect to the things that feed your soul. That's what we're kind of really talking about today. And so this might even be learning about 
certain important people within your spiritual or faith-based practices, um, listening to some form of sacred music by an artist that you connect to, engaging in private prayer time, um, attending a discussion group. I mean, the, the list could kind of go on and on, but it's really just finding new ways that you haven't tried um, to sort of renew your energy around um, seeking out mental health support um, that is spiritually based. Some people um, may be more outdoorsy and might find greater meaning outside in nature or going to an art gallery. Um, really, there are those that, you know, have a deeper connection to the art forms um, than some of us who are less creative and really making sure that you use that. If you know that you are a creative individual and that is the way um, that you are oftentimes revived or rejuvenated is by being in those type of creative settings, use that as a form, a form of spiritual practice. Um, for some people that could be reading poetry or um, learning more about science or history, things that really just get you excited. And so whatever your interests are by pursuing them, you can kind of give your mind like a break um, and a time out from thinking about sort of any mental health crises that might be relevant at the moment and kind of just invite in moments of peace to your experience and really just learning how to balance things out um, and really being reflective on the things that maybe you need to not just balance out, but push out of your life. Um, and so, of course, by just being able to be open about your mental health, you can actually end up helping others in your community who might be afraid um, to talk about their mental health. So this is another way that like on your own, even without knowing it, you being open enough and willing enough to share what you've experienced um, can actually help somebody else. And it feels really great once you've been able to do that one for yourself, but then also to be able to have someone maybe come to you because of what you've shared um, to really let them know that um, being able to express this and talk about it and then get the support that you need um, can change your life. And so starting this conversation between whether it's two people or a group of individuals really creates a stronger and a healthier and a much more compassionate faith-based community, um, which is one of the reasons many people steer clear of them is they don't feel that they're warm or compassionate or understanding. And so being able to really be yourself and talk about the things that you have experienced um, are just very important. And so also just another way that on your own, you can kind of practice um, your mental health and well-being and spread a message around both that type of support, but also being a part of religious community because they don't have to be um, exclusive to one another. They can actually include one another equally. Um, so those are just a little bit of tips, both community-wise, if you're a part of a, a larger faith-based community, but even on your own things that you may want to do to start to think about this in a different way. Um, for more information about how to do that or just more tips and tools, or if you're looking for maybe just some more stats to be able to share with your community, um, I suggest visiting www.mentalhealthamerica.net. Um, or of course, you can always reach out to me through our Ask Dr. LP segment or send us an email to info at smalltalkcounseling.com. Um, and if you are just curious about ways to increase um, your mental health and well-being in order to create a fuller experience, a happier life, um, more sense of control around the things that you care most about. So those are the things that I would suggest as you seek out ways to incorporate both mental health and spirituality into your daily practices and into how you'll be well. So we will take a quick break right there and we'll be right back for our signature segments.
All right, friends, we are back with um, our signature segments. First up, we're starting with our pop psych moment of the week. Um, and so since yesterday was Mother's Day, which is actually one of my favorite holidays I'm learning, um, and maybe the older that I get, um, and have such a um, appreciation for my mom, who I know listens to this show. So I'm not just saying that because she's listening, but I actually really love her. Um, and so she, along with, uh, mothers everywhere yesterday were celebrated, um, for all that they do to not only, um, take care of us, but to, in most cases, make the world go around through the jobs that they hold, the roles that they carry. Um, and so of course we appreciate them and send another happy, happy Mother's Day out to all of them and hope that they celebrate it happily yesterday. Um, you guys will probably also remember that, uh, maybe around this time last year, we did an episode on motherhood and mental health, um, with my mom who's featured on there and talking about what that can look like for many people. Um, but I want for our pop psych moment to really talk about some of the ways that we have seen motherhood change and evolve, um, and sort of maybe a part two kind of of motherhood and mental health a little bit, just not as long. Um, but being able to really think about um, more than a hundred years ago is when we first started celebrating this concept of Mother's Day. And now um, we continue to do that, but to recognize that motherhood can look so different than it did then. Um, and now we have a lot more um, education on just what it means to be a mom and what that can look like. And so I wanted for our pop psych moment this week for us to really talk through that um, and kind of just share what it could be like for the women who hold this really, really important title. So like I said, today's moms, um, are so different. They're much more educated than before. Um, a majority of women with young children are actually in the labor force and they're actually more mothers who are now serving, um, as the family's sole or primary breadwinner. Um, at the same time though, they're, um, our mothers who are stay at home and, um, that has kind of held steady based on the numbers and statistics, um, after sort of falling into place in the seventies and eighties. And, and that's kind of held constant. So there's a mix of the different types of women that we are seeing out in the world today, who we call mom. Um, some key findings that I just want to share, um, is that, like I kind of mentioned sort of this changing dynamic, but women are now more likely to become mothers than they were a decade ago. And so the share of women at the end of their childbearing years, which is anywhere from around 40 to 44, um, who had ever given birth was 86% um, in 2016, which was up from 80% in 2006. And so this was similar to the share um, who were mothers in the early 1990s. So over the past 20 years, highly educated women have experienced particularly dramatic increases in motherhood. So in 2014, 80% of women ages 40 to 44 were in a PhD or professional degree program um, and had given birth compared with 65% um, in 1994. So the shares of women who were mothers also rose among those with bachelor's degrees, master's degrees during this period, while rates of motherhood kind of remained steady for women with less than a bachelor's degree at 88%. 
um, women are also becoming mothers later in life. And so the median age at which women become mothers in the U.S. is 26, which is up from 23 um, in 1994. And so while this change has been driven in part by declines um, in births in teens, delays in motherhood have actually continued among women in their 20s. And so in 1994, more than half, which was right at about 53% of women in their early 40s, have become mothers by age 24. Um, but by 2014, this share had fallen to about 39%. And so mothers are spending much more time in the labor force than in the past, um, but also much more time on childcare. And so in 2016, moms spent around 25 hours a week on paid work, which was up from nine hours in 1965. Um, and at the same time, they spent about 14 hours a week on childcare, which was up from about 10 hours a week in 1965. So Dads too are spending more time on childcare, um, but it's just really important that we notice that moms are kind of balancing both, and both have increased both their roles in the workforce and their roles in taking care of home. So, seven in ten moms with kids younger than eighteen were actually in the labor force in twenty fifteen, um, which was up from forty seven percent in nineteen seventy five. And so, mothers are the primary rent breadwinners. Um, in four and 10 U.S. families. And so about 46% of households with a mother and a father, both parents are actually employed full-time, um, which has increased um, since 1970. Um, but just to sort of say seven and 10 moms with kids younger than 18 um, are in the labor force. So moms are out there working, hustling, and grinding. Um, and so part of being able to really think about what this can look like, uh, in a, a deeper sense is really being able to account for, um, kind of the pressure that sometimes moms or women in general, um, face. And so most American women say, um, that they face a lot of pressure to be not only these breadwinners like we're talking about, but really involved mothers. And so even in an era where women make up nearly half of the workforce and men are more involved in housework and childcare than ever before, um, the public sees vastly different pressure points for women and men in today's society. Um, and roughly about eight in 10 adults say women face a lot of pressures to be an involved parent and um, a significantly smaller share, 56% says about the same for men. So even just the difference in what society deems appropriate um, around uh, women sort of being involved in their kids' lives, even after they've birthed them. Um, in contrast, most adults, so about 76%, say men face a lot of pressure to support their family financially. And so that's where maybe that other side comes in. While for women, they only say 40% of women face this type of pressure. Um, and then lastly, what we also know is that um, foreign-born mothers account for a rising share of U.S. births that are now occurring. And so while annual births have decreased among U.S.-born women since 1970, they have increased among um, foreign-born, driven by both a growing foreign-born population in the U.S. and by relatively high birth rates among that particular group. And so in the past quarter century or so, births to foreign-born moms have boosted um, fertility in all but two states, which says a lot. So in 48 places um, that we have seen this increase in births and they accounted for more than one third of all new births in three states um, in 2015 in New Jersey, New York, and in California. Um, so just being able to recognize that the 
the title of mother should not be taken lightly. There's a lot of pressures. There's a lot of responsibilities, a lot of obligations that people often don't think about. And um, again, it's why we celebrate them, but we also um, have to recognize that it's not an easy job, um, particularly knowing that these pressures exist. So I wanted to share that as our pop psych moment um, because I thought it was really important to not just sort of have this like pushing out of, you know, it's so great being a mom. It's so good. And it is, um, or at least that's what I'm told is being able to know that, um, it really is hard. It's not this easy thing. And so in addition to sort of celebrating moms, um, I did want to take a moment to make sure that we're thinking about, um, sort of the unique people, um, that fall into the category of mom as well. And so these might be, um, mothers who have lost children, um, folks who have lost their mothers, um, anyone who sort of has a strained relationship with their mom um, or vice versa, the mom having a strained relationship with their child, um, the people who have maybe chosen not to be mothers. This is a really tough one for some people to understand because um, I think people who are mothers feel like there's so much joy that comes with that. Um, but there are people who know um, or maybe feel that uh, motherhood is better suited for somebody who is going to do um, it due diligence. And so in some ways, you really have to respect someone for wanting um, to take that sort of responsibility um, to make sure that they are very serious about that, knowing that they have maybe chosen not to be a mom. Um, and then the opposite of those people who are those that are yearning to be mothers. They've been trying for a very long time or really, really would like to um, and maybe haven't met the right person or have been trying to and just have not had success. And so I wanted to make sure that if nothing else, we also took a moment out to think about these sort of unique roles um, that women also take on because there is a lot of attention that goes um, to mothers who are here and who are present and who are here with us still on earth. But there are a lot of unique circumstances around motherhood as well that deserve to be observed. So definitely um, know that we are thinking of all of you who fall in maybe those categories as well um, on this special day or around this special time of year. So last up for our signature segments um, is our small talk bookshelf. So I just wanted to share this book has nothing to do with mental health. It has nothing to do with counseling, but I guess it kind of could um, for any of my clinician friends who are listening. And I know some of you do because y'all text me and tell me you do. Um, I am currently reading, I'm almost done actually, hopefully we'll finish it today. Um, the million dollar one person business by Elaine Pofelt. Um, I am obsessed with this book for multiple reasons. So anyone who is a clinician or who, um, is just sort of like a master of their craft, but did not go to school for business or entrepreneurship, I think should read this book. And the reason why I like it so much is because it's really great for just brainstorming. Um, if you are a business owner or an entrepreneur and you know that you are really great at the service that you will provide or the product that you will provide, um, but you have no clue where to start with you know, starting a business. I wish I had discovered this book before opening my practice. I probably would have done some things a little differently. Um, but what I like about it is that it also is for those of us who are already in business and maybe you want to think differently about how you're planning to move forward. Do you want to turn your business into this like very large corporation or do you want to stay um, a one person business and you learn how um, to delegate, you learn how to use um, independent contractors to really sustain your business and keep it going. And so 
I've loved um, reading this book because it really has allowed me to think differently about um, how I want to manage myself as a uh, business owner and as an entrepreneur, which is not necessarily what I uh, like to label myself as. I think of myself as a therapist, but I recognize that in order to stay a therapist, um, I had to become a business owner and really learn how to manage that and what that looks like and have a vision for what it should look like or what I want it to look like in the future. So great read, The Million Dollar One Person Business, Elaine Pofelt. Um, like I said, good for brainstorming, good for just thinking through ideas, um, gives lots of real life examples from her um, business coaching days. So just a great resource. And that is what is currently on my small talk bookshelf. So that brings us to the end of another episode. As always, if you have more thoughts about the topics that we talked about today, make sure that you submit them for our Ask Dr. LP segment. Those questions can be submitted on Instagram, Facebook, or you can email them directly to us um, at info at smalltalkcounseling.com. Um, and we will make sure that during our next recorded episode that your question is read um, and that you get a shout out if you want um, and that we talk about what your questions are. So as always, thank you guys for tuning in. We still have so many more exciting topics ahead. Uh, we have some guests coming up. So I'm really excited about that and some more fun topics. So always expect the unexpected. You never know what you're going to get on this show. As always, make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe. Submit your questions for Dr. LP. Um, and thank you as always. And we'll see you next time right here on the Emerald Couch. <laughs>